Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome once again as we continue on in our study. There we go. In the New Testament, we are working right now through the book of Mark. We're taking a chapter a week, and we're on Mark chapter 7. And we are looking at the Gospels as we start uh, our reading through the New Testament. We've done the book of Matthew. It took us 28 weeks to go through it, and um, we're seeing now the difference, uh, the way that Mark was written. Uh, the book of Mark. Mark wrote to the Romans, and the Romans were interested in power and authority, and so Mark started his gospel right right into it. The book of Matthew, there was a lot of preamble, and there's uh, quite a bit of it in Luke, but uh, when Mark takes over his uh, part of the gospel, he's right into the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. And um, this is done because that's the audience that he's writing to. That's what they'd be interested about, and he's writing to them to share with them the good news that uh, Jesus has come. And so we've been looking at this uh, chapter by chapter and uh, taking it in. And we've seen in both the books, uh, in, in Matthew first and now in Mark, that, that uh, Jesus has come to um, tell everyone that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's come to tell them, Here, here's the kingdom. He inaugurates the kingdom and, and he gets things rolling. And we know that when he comes back, he's going to complete everything. And, and so we live in this inaugurated eschatology. We live in the, the now and the not yet. We are, we are waiting for the return of Jesus, but he has, by his first coming, set things in motion. We also know from our studies that um, he was not accepted by the, religious, uh, the established religious order of the day. And we have, uh, uh, by looking at that and understanding that concept, the, the gospel seemed to make a lot more sense as you read him when you realize the... The underlying tone, the underlying tone of what's happening is that Jesus has come to um, let people know again who God is and what God is like, and He's running up against an established religious order that is set on rules and regulations, and they hate Him, they hate Jesus, and they want to see Him killed, and and so it's it's this constant conflict that we are we're running into as we see what's happening. We see. Uh, the, the, this sort of running through Jesus' teaching and the parables and all those things that are happening. Remember, and, and we're going to look at some more stuff in Mark 7, that, that it, as I presented, I want to say to you that, that uh, the Pharisees, because if we just write them out or off as being you know, sort of bad people, we don't get the point, they, they started out with a good purpose. These weren't necessarily bad people. Uh, the Pharisees had uh, come into existence a couple hundred years before Christ to preserve Judaism, to protect Judaism from the influences of the Greeks. And, and they had uh, rallied around a good cause, and yet over the period of time that they'd been in existence, they had changed the understanding from a community of people living in the presence of God and, and, um, and treating one another the way that, they, they, that God would have them in 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 a love-based relationship, receiving the love of God and extending the love of God from which the commandments make sense at that level, although we still couldn't keep them because we're all sinners. But but they'd taken it from there and it had morphed into hundreds of rules and regulations that made it impossible to have a relationship with God. And what they valued most highly was the observing of ritual and ceremony. And why it's important that we understand they weren't bad people is because the church always runs back into being Pharisees. And we have to just be on guard all the time. And, and we're the church. And we have our own Phariseeism. Everybody in the room has got part of it. All of us. It's part of the deal. 
And, and yet we have to be aware of it and we have to confront it and we have to look at it in our own lives and we have to realize when we're being pharisaical and we have to, we have to get to uh, the, the parts in our lives where we have fallen into rules and regulations rather than relationships. And, and it's, it's a constant, uh, it's something that we need constantly to be aware of. And, and Jesus comes and, and it's, it's at the center of his message. The kingdom of God has come and, and this is what God is like. And then he begins to demonstrate. He teaches and tells them, uh, who God is and what God is like and, and that God loves them and that there's a, a way to have relationship with them and he, and he backs up what he teaches with the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And he, he sets things in motion for uh, his, his uh, movement to the cross and to defeating uh, death and, and his resurrection and uh, him leaving, knowing that he would leave his ministry then in, in to us, ultimately, until he returns and, and uh, he's preparing his disciples and he's preparing us for what that looks like in the process. And we already, last week we saw him that he began to send his disciples out. Uh, he, he taught them and they watched and saw what he did and he, he anointed and gave them authority to go and do the same thing. And they went and they did it. And we'll see that he sends out more. And we see at the end uh, of, the, of the, the Gospels and, and uh, in Acts that, that then, then we're supposed to go and do the same. Always presenting this good news that... Uh, Jesus is, is the way to having relationship with God. That, that even though you've sinned, God has made a way in Christ for you to be restored in relationship. And it's not about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with God. Now, when I say that, does that mean we can just go out and do whatever we want? Well, of course it doesn't mean that. It means that rather than rules and regulations, our relationship is based on a response. And we respond to God not because he's some harsh taskmaster, but because he loves us so much that he made a way for us at the cross. And so what we do then comes out of a heart response of love, not of performance, not of um, uh, rule or regulation, but, but a heart responding to the tug of God because he loves us. And that changes everything about relationship with God. Because anytime you get in a spot where it's all rules and regulations, love drifts away. There's no love in those places. And it's just about you do this and you do this. And if someone isn't doing that, you know what you do? You judge them. And you get critical. And, and because they're not following the rules. And you have to. Because that's how you please God. It doesn't work. It didn't work for the Pharisees. It doesn't work today. And so that's what we're unraveling as we look through the Scriptures. Now, we've moved up to Mark 7, and we're going to see some more of it. Let me go ahead and, and read Mark chapter 7 to you. It's in your uh, bulletin if you want, or you can read along with your Bibles and uh, follow along. And if you want to, you can pick a Bible up off the row and read along with that. Uh, wherever you want to get it, it's fine, just as long as... Uh, or you can just listen to my wonderful tone as I present the Scripture to you. Soon available on a Ford... CD set. No. I, I don't know. It's just there. Marks. My wife told me last week, she said, just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it, you know. <laughs> That's what she told me after Sunday. You know, just because you think it, really, you could probably keep some of that in. <laughs> I probably could. I don't think that I will, but I probably could. And think of the fun everyone would miss. Because they all love those moments. Can you believe that he said that at church today? <laughs> That's why they keep coming. What will he say this week? 
keeps everybody on their toes. So I know they'll stay awake for 25 minutes. You just never know what he might say. Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? I'm sorry, I just think that's funny. He asked. (laughs) Jesus says some stuff sometimes. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about this, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive a demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to let the children, uh, children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, said to him, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. 
Jesus commanded, commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Blessed be the word of the living God. So we uh, are in this process now. And when we finish Matthew chapter 6, Jesus had said a, a critical thing to his disciples. And um, it was after he had walked out on the water uh, to them and they were terrified and amazed. And he said this little thing. He said uh, he talked about their hearts being hardened. And I said uh, to you that that's a, that's a very critical statement. It's a, an important statement because... Even the disciples who were around Jesus and who had seen the miracles and, and believed in what he was doing still struggled with hardness of heart. And that um, it's a consequence of living in a fallen world, on a broken planet. And that this hardness of heart impacts all of us. And, and I don't think that Jesus was uh, in any way ridiculing them or accusing them of malice or, or um, willful ignorance. Um, he was just uh, uh, telling them that this was a condition that is common to us in living in a fallen world, that, that we, we quickly become hardened in our hearts. Um, and and I, I think if we're honest, we can all, we can all agree with that, that, that we can see God move in mighty ways, and then uh, something else will happen, and, and suddenly we have very hard hearts. And we doubt and we question and we're selfish and we're mean and we're, we're all sorts of other things that happen because we, we're living in this situation. I'm not, not making excuses for it. I'm just saying it's part of the deal. And that um, this hardness of heart uh, continues to be an issue in the process. And so he, he mentions about the disciples' struggle, but then uh, as Mark continues, he talks about a, 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 a far worse condition of the heart that's exhibited by the Pharisees. And the way that all of this stuff, and we touched on it last week, the way that, that we can come to the Lord and, and be in relationship with Him is always about faith and not about rules and regulations. We've been talking about that. And the problem with rules and regulations is they increase the hardness of the heart, often to the place where, where we get so hardened that, that there's no way... We, we never open up to God. Not that there's no way. He, he's there all the time, but we, we shut down. And this is the, the condition of the Pharisees. And, and Jesus begins this illustration with this story of the Pharisees coming to him because uh, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, um, didn't partake of the ceremonial hand washing. Now, now, moms, this isn't like, you know, telling your kids to wash their hands before they eat. Um, because I'm sure that they, they washed. I mean, that's just where you could, you washed your hands. So it's not that issue. But uh, what's at stake here is the ceremonial hand-washing that um, the, the Pharisees practiced. And this hand-washing consisted of them dipping their hands in the water, and then they would hold their hands up and let the water run down uh, their arms and drip off their elbows. And they repeated this the prescribed number of times. It was a big show. And before they'd ever gotten to, you know, like the surgeon, you know what I mean? Okay, now I can eat. Um, they, they had, and see, the, the thing was, that's not part of the law. It's a tradition. 
And what Jesus is saying, though, look, your traditions are now more important than the Word of God. You, you've missed, you've, you've put the Word of God aside, and you've replaced it with your traditions. And this hand-washing was one of them. And they were after Jesus like they were every... Because they, they, see, here's the, he calls them hypocrites because they are hypocrites. We've read this already. They, they, they're always picking on hand-washing and stuff like that. And yet, they're, behind the scenes, they're plotting to kill Jesus, which is, there's a big one. Do not kill is one of the main ones. And, and they could care less about that because he's messing up their deal. They want him gone. They're figuring out the whole time this is going on. How can we kill this guy? Anybody, step up. Let's go. We need to kill him. And, and what they're picking on, yeah, but how can you let your disciples not proceed? Because ultimately Jesus, as a rabbi, would have been responsible for the activity of his disciples. That's how it went. The, the, the rabbis all, all had disciples that followed after them, and they lived in... In, and under the supervision of that rabbi who was, in effect, responsible for it. And so they, they see this happen and they attack Jesus about this process. So, so here we have this tradition that has superseded the law and, and Jesus says to them, uh, in this a big verse in Mark, Mark, 7 and, uh, Mark chapter 7, 6 and 7, and talks about this underlying thing happening throughout the Gospels. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, see we're back to a heart condition, are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You see how he brings up the condition of the heart again? He just, it just happened at the end of 6, talking about his disciples. But he's talking about a far worse condition here. Because they have uh, totally replaced a relationship with God with rules, regulations, and rituals. And they're attacking everybody who doesn't do it the way they've done it. And, and that's, that's the situation that we find is happening right now. And so he, he goes and he says, look, you, you're, you value your traditions over the commandments. And he brings up the one about honoring your father and mother. And, and one of the commandments, you honor your father and mother. And yet what they had done was they'd come up with a nifty little tradition to sidestep this commandment, and it was called the Korban. And what they did was... Um, they would dedicate all of their stuff to the Lord. And yet they were able to use it while they were still alive, but technically because it belonged to the Lord, they were no longer responsible to help out their family if they went into any sort of crisis because they couldn't because all the stuff that was technically the Lord's, they were using. And so they, they sidestepped that entire commandment. Do you, do you see what they did? Because they, they, they just didn't care about people. See, if you, if you don't have a heart, for, if your heart is hard, then you really don't care about anybody else. You just care about you. And that's what it, that was the condition. That's where we were at. That's what, that's what and, and unfortunately, that's what religiousness always looks like. It never looks like care and concern. It always looks like this selfish, you know, we've got to figure it out and you don't. And, and that's what was happening. And so they came up with rules to bypass because their hearts were so hard and they didn't care. You know, your heart response as a believer in, in, in would, would be that if there was someone in need, especially that was close to you, that you would do what you could. And yet they, they had, no, we need a rule for that because we don't want to do that anymore. So we'll just give it all to God. And they all said, okay, that's what we'll do. And there you go. Sidestep that command. And Jesus said, you do that all the time. You have all sorts of things like that. So, so this was the presentation that was following. Um, and then when he talks about clean and unclean, See, again, this is, this is super important because it, it, it's the difference, see, of, 
The, the point is about internal and external. And, and they had settled for an external relationship, the false relationship based on external things. And yet internally, they were far from God. And what God wants is the opposite. He, he wants the changes that happen in our lives to happen from the inside and come out. Not try and change things on the outside and leave the inside left alone. And, and see, that's the huge difference. And that's what Jesus was coming to say. And we can't, see, and we can't do it apart from relationship with God. You can't change from the inside out by yourself. The best you might achieve at any level is some external change. But it won't be heart change. That comes with the help of God. He, he by His Spirit, helps us to make those changes. And, and that's the point of the, in, the, the, the clean and the unclean, the internal and the external. And he says, you know, it's not. And, and we, still, we can get religious about this, too. He makes everything. He said, it's not what goes in that's the issue. It's what comes out. So we can't even blame the stuff that we like to blame for causing us problems. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out of your heart. And, and this was his, his point and his issue. And see, they kept demonstrating what was in their heart by the stuff they did. It wasn't good. And, and even though they were like, oh, we, we always wash our hands. Big deal. And that was the point of the parable. And then he, uh, Mark, I, I love the way he weaves the story. Because he, the next story that he goes into, because we got this problem with hard hearts, see, that he's been bringing up. And, and what's the answer then for dealing with hardened hearts, hearts that have been hardened by sin? It, it's not trying to follow the law, which is, which is what we often get to. Okay, when, if we finally even begin to figure out that we're a mess, one of our first responses, okay, then what are the things that I should do? We try and do it in, in law following. And that never works. Um, it, it never works. What works is faith in Christ. That's the only thing we got. Apart from Jesus, we don't, we're not going to make it. We're not going to get that real change inside of us. And he, he illustrates this story with the Syrophoenician woman who's a Gentile. Um, this woman has no basis for any claim on Jesus. None. Because Jesus has come to the children of Israel by covenant promise. That's why he's there. He's there to tell the chosen people. He's given them a chance to respond to the message of the kingdom. That's what he's come for. Um, and that's by covenant promise from God with the people of Israel. And when this Gentile woman comes, he says, you know, it's not time. I can't, I can't take what's meant for the children. And it, it seems a little harsh. So that, that statement seems a little rough, doesn't it? And, and, uh, and give it to the dogs. <laughs> um, and yet the illustration fits when you, when you sort of follow it through. See, because she says to him, yeah, but listen, if you give food to the children and they don't want it, and it falls on the floor. The dogs are allowed to have it, right? And Jesus says, for that answer, your daughter's healed. The demon's gone. Why? Because of the faith. See, there was no... The Pharisees would refuse to believe. She had no doubt about who he was and what he was saying. She had no claims. She wasn't uh, where she, who she should have been or... Uh, born into the, the way that she should have been. She had no claims on Jesus, but by faith. And by faith she said, yeah, but the children don't want it. And do you see the picture at that point becomes Jesus is spreading a table for the children of Israel of such magnitude and splendor and awe 
And they're saying, we don't want it. And so then it becomes available to everybody. That's the process. But that's the rejection. Imagine God. This is Jesus, fully God, fully man, comes and spreads a table to the children who he's promised to come to. And they say, we don't like broccoli. Or whatever. But do you get it? And, and that's, that's the whole story. And she said, but they don't want it. I do. Can I have what they don't want? Absolutely, Jesus said. But what's, what's the difference in her heart? Faith. What, what, what's missing with the hardened heart Pharisees? Faith. The disciples. He wasn't picking on them for their hard hearts. But see, it's a faith issue. They believe. But all of a sudden, because of the multiplying of the bread, their faith kind of wavered. And their hearts harden. When our faith wavers, hearts get hard. When you get a hard heart, you've got to stop. Ask God what's going on. Connect again. Know that He is who He says He is. And He'll do what He says He's done. And so that's, that's the story. And, and it, you know, we're the Syrophoenician woman. We, we have no claims on Jesus. We have, we're outside of the, the covenant. Of, of, and yet in Christ... Because of what he's done, we can come. And, and the table is spread before us now. Pretty amazing deal. The last story is again um, uh, about faith in Jesus and, and, and uh, what it means. And, and we see his compassion again as he, um, he ends up with a man who, um, who's deaf and, and can hardly talk. I, I get a kick out of the story because of the particular healing method that Jesus follows. And, and uh, in this particular method, he sticks his hands in the ear. And, and so I try and follow this to see what it means, because it could mean a lot of things. So he fingers in the ear, it says, then he spits and touches his tongue. So where did he spit if he's got his fingers in the ear? Does he spit on the guy's face? Is it just sort of an offhanded, excuse me, poop? <laughs> or does he spit on his tongue? It touches his tongue. I don't know. But it's not how he does it most of the time. I mean, he just healed the demon-possessed daughter by looking at the woman saying she's healed. There ain't no formulas. He just, just do it. But as I've said in the past, and as I will say again, we've talked about that. If you're praying for someone, if you spit on them, you better, they better get healed. <laughs> you better be real sure that's God. Or they're going to get really upset with you. What would you do that for? I read about it in a book, <laughs> and it worked, <laughs> and I was sort of running on empty at that moment. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, but again, too, and it's about, see, the guy couldn't hear and he couldn't see, uh, no, couldn't hear and couldn't talk. It was about his senses, and yet Jesus prayed for him, and, and his senses were back spiritually when we come to Christ. You know, we... We're, we're, we're sensually deprived apart from Jesus. And then he, he, he brings us back. So um, that's what happens in Mark chapter 7. And uh, next week, you know where we're going to be? Mark chapter 8. So you can read ahead if you'd like. Um, if you have prayer requests, you can pass them up to me. And I have nobody upstairs to turn off that video. So it's going to be... Uh, while you collect those things, I'll be right back. Get them running because i got to turn that off.